This is Cash. These are my notes. And these are my notes. And these are my other notes. And so, um, so Kaz, um, Kaz is a part of the relationship that just redeems it all, makes it wonderful and amazing. But you said I mustn't say that stuff, so I won't. When we were at Basti, Kara saw Maddie in love with me and followed me around because she's only human. It's a love. <laughs> 15 years of the same jokes, guys. <laughs> 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 and then we're good at the start. <laughs> you keep telling them now and they're laughing. <laughs> Excellent, Okay. So what we like to do is we like to have spots. And as we have these spots, we're actually teaching people just how to, you know, deal with stuff. So that's, a, that's a big part of today. As long as you enjoy it. <laughs> you guys need to enjoy it too. So just laugh along and pretend like it's fun. It encourages us. So Kaz and I met a long time ago. We've been married for a long time. Uh, but it has, especially from last night, been a joy. Uh, and uh, the older I get, the happier I am that I married this person. I didn't know who I was marrying when I married her. Uh, you kind of have an idea. You think, this is cool, this person's cool, she's hot, you know, this could work. Uh, and then as you go along, you start to realize the, you know, there's a lot more to a person than you initially think. And uh, as you get older, you begin to realize that it's the crises and the fires in life that um, don't come and form character, but that reveal character. And then you start to see what's kind of lying underneath there. And as we've kind of journeyed along, I've been, I've been so grateful for what the fires of life have revealed. <laughs> a stunning character. So we're married uh, for 15, going on 16 years. We've got three little girls. They're running around here somewhere. Um, and they are in the life. Uh, and um, we met at Stellenbosch at the university. Uh, we were in class together. I finished at one degree, Kaz went on and did another two, she's one of those. <laughs> she also came back to school and won the border poetry competition. <laughs> no border. There we go. So, um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, anything you want to add in there? Uh, no, but, no, but yes. <laughs> um, so, we did meet in church in some sweat. Um and... Yeah, me, Jen, and one hope obviously have a really deep history together, and so... Yeah, as, uh, as students before this church was born, we were uh, of the group that prayed, it, prayed this community to be. Uh, so as students, we were proud to do some of West, and we would be for family church, and we'd have these early morning training centers as students. Which were really early? So early, I think it's... Nine. <laughs> 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 Praying for New Gen TV to plant um, a family church here in Sennemarch, which it's a pleasure, guys. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I was going to say, I would want to put more glory on Jesus. <laughs> but uh, all that to say that this community is very close to our heart, so uh, it's really cool to be here with you and to hang out. Um, yeah. The Lord judges you. Um, so, uh, 
So the brief is um, advice to my 20 year old self. And uh, we watched a little video that uh, you guys put together and it was really good. And actually there's so much in there, you can just watch that. And uh, you get the job done and you wouldn't actually need up. And so we have a bit of a crisis that we try to think what are we going to say that's different for me. And actually, I don't know if we watch too much different and new things to say, but uh, certainly um, if I could go back to my 20 year old self and you need to know that if you're talking to yourself, you have to refer to yourself and you need a name for yourself, right? And so you're effectively talking to yourself in the third person. So what is your third person name? So mine is Craig. So if I'm talking to myself, I speak to myself and I call myself Craig. And the reason is, is because my surname is Kramer. Uh, and uh, at some stage, uh, I used to call people and I just put head at the end of like whatever, you know, so whatever their surname was, Coxhead, Millerhead, whatever, they were just head, you know. And anyway, I ended up as Craig, and so that's my third person name. What is yours? Kizinski. Okay. Uh, and so... And so effectively, if I'm talking back to myself, I'm talking, you know, I'm going to refer to myself as something, so it's great. So I need to just hear what some of your third person names are. So what do you call yourself? J-Man. J-Man, there you go. Mark. Okay, another one. Anyone else? Daffy. Daffy. What's your name? Donna. Donna. Okay, Daffy, I like it. Anyone else? It's just something making wrong, so I typically just use my own name as a third person because it's perfect for anyone. Okay. <laughs> 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 it needs to be the beginning of the spirit. <laughs> 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 That's not being myself, I think. At least you make it in the first person. Yeah. <laughs> 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 What's your portal code? No, no, no. Um, boom, Yeah. Okay. 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 It's almost like, so my full name is Stefan, so also sometimes when I'm angry, it's Stefan. Come on, pull yourself in. So the point is, is there's going to be some third person names out there, and you better find one if you don't, okay? And get creative, and it's something that you can really get motivated by. And so we're going to be speaking to our former self, uh, and with that, there's just a lot of things. We just started out, and I was like, crazy. Uh, that, that, um, hand-woven yak wool waistcoat that is second colour from India. The best thing ever. Whose his buttons are shaped like suppositories. I'm sorry, you guys need a picture. I will show you a picture just now. <laughs> Craig, that waistcoat isn't as popular with the ladies as you might think. <laughs> and that... Um, that mullet that you had, also, that also was special. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the guys liked it, the ladies not so much. Yeah. Um, how? Twenty-year-old <laughs> 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 me. Yeah, that joke. Oh. <laughs> she should have kissed less boys. <laughs> <laughs> because those boys were up, and then they are standing in the queue at the kids' pre primary.
one year of grades and two things that I think we did well. Um, one regret that I have um, was not using my social capital as I could have. And so by social capital, and I, it's something I really try to instill in my girls, is you know, you have you have a certain social life, you have certain friends, you have a certain confidence, whatever that might be. And there are people with less social capital with you, those people who are on the outside, those people who don't fit in naturally or whatever. And I didn't really have that, the maturity to see that I had an opportunity to really use the confidence or friendship circles or whatever that I had to less than include others. Um, and that's, that's really a regret for me. I don't think I was mean, but I wasn't intentionally kind. Um, whereas there was a girl in our class who was, she tried really hard to be part of things, she didn't naturally fit, and um, actually Steph was so kind to this girl, and he just always included her. Um, and she, she came to love Jesus, um, and she's, she's great, you know. Um, and I just saw something in that, in that example of how powerful your social capital can be. You just get <laughs> your head out your own butt and think about other people. So that's definitely one that I wish I had done better. Um, and then two, that um, I just think everyone should do at all times of their life and start now to have it. The one is read broadly. Um, I think by reading all sorts of things, you... Yeah, you're informed and all that stuff, but you grow compassion because suddenly you have some sense of understanding of what it must be like to live in occupied France or what it must be like to be an immigrant trying to get out of whatever country and into another country or what it must be like to live under um, the drug cabals in Mexico. You, you get understanding and compassion for people by reading boldly. So that's definitely... Um, something that everyone must do and reading is the best thing in the world and I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm a book nerd and I encourage everyone to be a book nerd um, and then the third thing is just seek to make memories so um, a friend of ours moved overseas in his late 20s and early 30s and we checked in with him and asked him how it was going and he said you know it's actually really hard to make friends at this age because what do you talk about oh remember the time we went to that great coffee like <laughs> So you can go for coffees, or you can go for a hack, or you can go camping, or you can do what, what those money princess runs, or like if there's an opportunity to do, to do something that makes a actual memory. If you don't remember brushing your teeth this morning, and you're like, I'm sure you all did, but do you remember it? No, because it's not memorable, because it's, oh, but it's repetitive. So like, do things that are, find opportunities that are different, go for a surf lesson, and be ridiculously bad at it, and that's fine. Memory. So, yeah. So, as a as a family, I think it's really a, a value for us. And our poor children, I think the longest drive we ever did was 27 hours in one stretch. But um, but they don't really remember the drive. So <laughs> they remember, you know, sources play, and they remember incredible things because flying fish in the Mozambique Channel, yeah. bio bags on an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, you know, like things like that. Like, inconvenience yourself to make memories because you won't regret it ever. And memories don't have to be expensive. They, they just take a little bit of effort. So on the topic of effort, there is um, a tool I came across this actually, which I thought was really profound. It's from a book called The Slight Edge by a guy called Jeff Olson. And don't worry about the words. These are my graphs. 
Can you do the whole academics? See, she does have bugs. And basically, the principle is that <coughs> <coughs> just one degree of difference every day is so little that all the mathematicians know that over time it's huge. And so, with uncomfortable early becomes comfortable later. What do I mean by that? If um, currently it is uncomfortable to get out of bed on a Saturday morning and exercise, or to exercise with any kind of regularity, it's uncomfortable, it's a mission, it's an effort. But later, when you are in the 60s or 70s and your core is strong and you don't have backache and knee ache and you're not overweight and you don't have diabetes and whatever, that, that slightly uncomfortable thing now benefits you in the long run to make life better. And the converse is true. What's comfortable early becomes uncomfortable later. So <clears throat> it's comfortable now to stay in bed, to eat McDonald's and rubbish and whatever you people will eat. I don't know. <laughs> Burgers and chips and pies in the middle of the night. <laughs> and that's all comfortable now and easy and convenient, but later on, Terrible. Very uncomfortable. And so, and so this is the principle. Oh, that looks healthy. It's got seeds on top. The point is, our, our habits, we're very far, but our habits take a long-term toll, either from positive or negative. And, and the principle applies to all kinds of areas of our lives. For example, yeah. So, um, so I think the discipline in this case is being able to where you are positioned right now in life to come and to take a, a, a scenario or situation or a thing and to project it into the future, into both iterations, into its dark side and into its light side, so to speak. And and if you can come and conjure up this ability to do this, you start to come and you begin to cast vision for yourself internally as to the version of the life that you want. And essentially, that's the, the space that you are all at, is where you are currently, like no other time in your life, have an ability, a space, an opportunity to invent the person that you are going to become. It's an incredibly powerful space that you're in. Uh, so for Kaz and I, we're so we're 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 becoming that old dog, you know. It's, you can't treat an old dog new tricks, you know. And we're becoming that old dog because it's getting harder and harder to come and to find the ability to adjust and change. And so the things that we put into place all those years ago are, are the, the rhythms that we're living in now. And to come and change that, man, it's, it's hard. I'm going to be honest with you. And so and so if you can right now come and say, well. What do I want to come and look like in the future? You have an ability to start to conjure up and piece that together. And so when I was uh, in high school, I, um, I, I was pretty normal when it came to my faith. I was, um, uh, I was a bit of a savage on many fronts. I went to JP and it was a, you know, a real dark kind of... Um, uh, it was a, a rough kind of space to kind of do high school in. Uh, and uh, towards the end of high school, I... Kind of met, found God in a way that I hadn't before, and as a result, I started to uh, see life a little bit differently. And I did this exact thing with my life, where I'm like, well, when it comes to family and relationship, what do I want? And I, 
I'll work it out. And I saw the one kind of, if I carry on this trajectory, I was going to be promiscuous, end up with STDs, be this lonely old man living his life in a cave, you know. And the other one was like, there could be this route that I come and I preserve myself, fight for certain things. And I was like, okay, and if I did that, then something of what I would like that to look like is I'd like to go overseas when I finish school. I'd like to come and study. I would like to, once I've studied, get married as soon as I can. Um, and so ideally that would be when I'm 24, so just a year after I finish studying. Uh, and then when I'm 27, 28, I'd like to have my first kid. Um, and and I, know, I know this is a dangerous thing, um, but uh, this was something of my plan, and this is exactly how it worked out. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't that I, I came and I, I stumbled into it as I was going along, and I was like, oh, this was not. Uh, when I met Kaz, I was like, you realize that I'm in this, uh, with a seriousness where I want to see if you could be my wife. I was day. terrified. I was like, shh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, just wanted, <laughs> you just wanted to kiss this boy. <laughs> And so that was one of the exercises that I did where I said, I imagined it uh, and I plotted it out, and by God's grace, it worked out in that way. Um, so for me, um, not only did I win the poetry competition, but <laughs> it, was, it was actually a trophy for that. So mm-hmm. I also hit it up. The environmental part. And in high school, I decided I really wanted to work for WWF and for example. And um, so I went to Boston and I studied conservation. And along the way, I realised um, scientists who really don't know how to communicate. So then I studied journalism after that, um, and then I did a master's in like, looking at how the media reports on climate change um, and very soon was working at WWF and so I had a vision I saw it through and beautifully landed in the job way earlier than I ever expected to and had an amazing few years there and now I consult for them and kind of work for a, a few organisations but there was a trajectory that I didn't fall into uh, I had a plan, you know and it, it changed along the way as I kind of my understanding of things grew, but there was an intention and it was a path that I followed. So, I mean, these are two examples of where it works out well. Um, uh, but uh, one where it doesn't work out well, well, it's not bad, but one where. Um, I'd go back to myself and say, Craig, you've got to do this differently. It's around finances. Uh, and I just think what I know now is just very, um, very sobering. If I could have taken that back and put some of the things in place way back then, it would have made a massive difference. And so, as an example, um, you know, uh, it, took us, it took us hammering our heads against credit card debt to eventually re- realize that we don't have one credit card debt. And so we now, uh, we got hold of our most recent credit card, the guys came and said, congratulations, you qualify for uh, 115,000 rand credit card limit. And I'm like, are you sick in your head? What kind of madness is this? Are you smoking something? Honestly, you can't just give money away like that. And I said, what's the lowest you can make it? 
3,000 rand. Well, that's what you're going to make it. And those are you know, some hard-fought lessons as you kind of go along. But the, 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 the point I want to make is that we, we could have done that better, and I would have gone back to myself. And one of the things that I would have done is I've got, we've got these piggy banks for our girls, and so every month we give them their pocket money. So Sandia gets 100 bucks every month, and I'll make sure that we get it in 10 rand notes. Uh, and so, and so we give it, and we say, okay, where does the first ten rand go? And the first ten rand, she takes it. She says, this is for God. So we're teaching her there the principle of of coming and, and tithing. And so for both of us, since I was um, out of school, first year out of school, I received. I've been tithing. Kaz has been tithing since last year. And we just, I mean, the, the, you know, the thing of you can never ask give God. Like, I don't feel like God's come and given us paychecks, you know, in the postbox. There have been moments when He blessed us financially, but more than that, I think when you honor God, especially in finances, He comes and He honors you in other areas of your life, you know. Uh, and so the first ten rand is in the, um, is in, you know, for God. And then the second ten rand, uh, and so obviously, you guys, for those of you that are a bit slow, that's ten percent, okay? Ten rand is so 10% goes to God, and the next 10 goes into the one ten, which is uh, savings. And so, uh, and so for Tandia, for the past several years, she's been saving 10% of her money every month. And it goes in there. She doesn't ever touch that. And then the next 10 rand goes into a thing called uh, share. Generosity, which she gets to come and to share with others who are in need. And then, and then we come and we look and we say, okay, so you've given... 10 plus 10 plus 10, 30 away, and you say, and who gets the rest? And she's like, me! And she's so stoked because she gets 70 bucks. And you know, the, the reality is, is when we come and we start on the opposite end and we get our, our 10,000 rand paycheck, and you're going to come and you're going to put 10,000 rand to God, and you're like, oh! And 1,000 rand to savings, oh! And 1,000 rand to generosity, oh! And then all you're left with is 7,000 rand. You know, when you start off from that place there, one day she's going to get in her, her 70 rand is going to turn into 700 rand. And her 700 rand is going to turn into 7,000 rand. And it's always going to be a joy because what, what she's learned is this is the principle of how to manage my money. And this is the much that I'm left with at the end of it. And so that's one of the things I'll go back and I'll put those three things in place as like just a, um, as a primary goal for our kind of financial work. That's me again, right? So, so all this to come and say, um, you know, these, this is a more than saying go and do this or go and do that. We're saying there's this tool where you have a, an opportunity to come and say, okay, that's where I want to get to. What are the things that I need to do in order to get there? Or alternatively, there's this area in my life that some people are concerned about and they're pointing their finger at. Let me come and work that out and see where that ends. And you come and you get to have the opportunity and say, okay, I get to choose where I'm going with this. As, um, you know, as, we, as we've spoken about this and you've seen my very impressive graph, <laughs> um, I bet God's highlighted some things to you and maybe just, you know, mental notes to, to go and walk out that trajectory a little bit, um, whether it's an unhelpful habit or, or a helpful habit that you're not doing or maybe a, a, a relationship that might be potentially dangerous to you, whatever it is, um, you need to know and decide if you are going to walk this thing out before God and do the maths on it. Correct. And so, 
So it's, uh, I think I think in kind of warming up for this, this is like some of the other ends that we're feeling like, oh cool, yeah, we could talk about this, but actually we don't want to labor too much time here. Uh, and there's actually something that we want to get to that Kaz is excited about, that I'm excited about. Uh, and and but these are these are key things, and this could be helpful, and there might be something in it that you're hearing from God. But with it, I think there's also just to transition to some of the next stuff is that um, uh, is that life. Um, what I'd come and tell myself is, Craig, life never goes to plan. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so what I didn't tell you was that I mapped it out, right? Are you going to go overseas? Are you going to go study? While you're studying, you're going to meet someone. Just after you finish studying, 24, you're going to get married. I was 24 when I got married. And then you're going to have uh, shocked, three years. <laughs> three years of uh, marriage, and then you're going to have your first kid. So 27, uh, Cash falls pregnant, 28, um, you know, we're just about there with the first kid. And everything's going to plan, you know. And I'm like, yes, the Lord digs me, man. <laughs> Uh, and I'm thinking I'm so special and wonderful and amazing. And then, uh, some of you may know, we, we, um, our little girl, her name was Sophia Grace, she came just about to turn and we lost her in a stillbirth. And you're like, that wasn't part of the plan. Where did that come from? And, and, so, um, and so, part of the reason why we kind of want to be quite light on the top stuff here is because sometimes these things that you say, you know, like, do your finances and this and do that and make sure you get to this can be a little bit trite and superficial. So there's realities where sometimes you just can't come uh, and um, and plan life. And with that, I've also just learned that that time is such a great leveler. Um, time, I, I love time. I really do. Time has been so good to me over the years. Um, as I've as I've come and um, in my own life. You know, time doesn't take the pain away, but it does come and create the space in which healing comes. And healing doesn't come in, in a moment. You know, it takes time, and it's that time that comes and brings you into a space where healing can come. But it's also time that comes and filters my own heart and the hearts of others, and time reveals the character and nature of myself and people. And it's just time has been such a friend to me. And I think also when I was young, I was so so keen to grow up and to get old. Uh, you know, to, to get on with life, then I think I rushed things a little bit and didn't, uh, didn't allow time to take its course, you know, I want to get married, I want to get the stuff done, I want to get there, I want to get a job, I want to earn a salary, I want to, I was just so keen to get on with it, I actually could have been a bit slower. Yeah, so sort of on that, um, on that topic, um, you know, you talk about getting on with life, and one of the things on there was, um, you're not as busy as you think you are, student. When you have used some punctuation, um, and um, and I think, yeah, I, I think not only are you not as busy as you think you are, but busyness is not a badge of honor, and um, it used to be. Uh, it used to really be a badge of honor to say how very busy you were and important. Uh, and but uh, yeah. And and now when when people tell me that they're busy, they're so busy. Uh, a little bit better. Than like what you're managing your life, but you, like you shouldn't be. So that's not to say that I don't have a heck of a lot of um, 
commitments and, and things that I'm, that I'm doing. But if your priorities aren't well placed, you're going to always feel frantic and busy. And I think one of the things, I mean, it would be sad if you missed this, that one of the things in the last year and a half that God has been calling people to is to pause and to contemplate and to, um, and to be present and to, um, to dwell and to abide and to um, reorient, uh, reorientate our lives in terms of our priorities. And if we've missed that, then what a wasted year and a half, because I really think it's one of the biggest lessons of the whole COVID thing. Um, I don't think, as believers, we have any business going around like headless chickens. No one wants, it's not going to call anyone to Jesus. No one wants that life, you know. So busyness is not a badge of honor. We need to stop telling everyone how busy we are. And we need to get our priorities in order so that we have margin in our lives. Um, and we're not hiding behind busyness. Um, and then uh, um, the last one I want to mention just on this is uh, the older I've gotten, the less I realize I know. I know it's a cliche, but man, when I was young, I, I thought I was in a normal world. Man. I thought I was invincible. I thought I was God's gift to the world, honestly. And, uh, and the older I get, I just cringe at that version of myself, and I'm, and I'm just like, I'm a, yes, I'm actually way dwarfer than I thought. Um, and so I think, I think these are, you know, I think we're starting at the superficial, we come in and dealing with some practicals, but we're also then saying, even those practicals are actually, you know, a little bit um, uh, superficial and trite at times. And it's getting a little bit deeper, but I think, I think where we're going now is probably a place where um, where it starts to get into a more philosophical space. Um, and so it might not be what you guys are hoping for. Uh, maybe some of you are happy and you can kind of tick the box and get up and go now. Um, uh, and that's also fine. Um, maybe that's where you are at right now. Uh, but I think, um, I think what we want to do is we want to maybe talk a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit more philosophical. Just allow some of the story and the narrative that comes from it to come and just touch your heart as God would want it to do. So, yeah, so, um, so I guess to my 20 year old self, the biggest thing would be, you know, who do you want to spend eternity with? So, we are at a church camp, so I'm assuming he's all chosen Jesus. Who do you want to spend his earthly life with? And yeah, when you when you have to decide who you're going to wake up next to for the next forty years, you got to choose that person well. Um, because when life slaps you in the face and it's a win, it's not a you know. When life slaps you in the face, you need to like the person who's next to you and you need to be able to trust them. Um, when it feels like your skin's being pulled off because life becomes so raw. So my best mate, um, she's, she's going through something really big at the moment, and she's my age, and it's it's the first really really big tragedy that she's facing in her life, and it's a win for all of us not on earth. And when you're in that space, you need if you are married, you need that person next to you to be someone that can drag you along if you need to be dragged along, can 
lift you up if you need to be lifted up, lifted up can feed you and water you if that's what you need, um, but it really matters. And so, so for me that moment was, you know, this horrific, horrific morning in this hospital where um, they're searching for this heartbeat, they can't find a heartbeat. Um, and they're delaying telling me, and my mouth is getting so dry that now they're thinking, well, they might have to do a Caesar, so they're not going to give me any water. And I'm like, water. And I remember, like, at, at, when, when the guy finally said it, like, finally said it, and finally took me from that moment of, like, slight hope to just at least knowing, um, I felt two things in that moment. And one was complete horror. Like, this doesn't happen to me. God likes me. These things don't happen to me. This is, like, this is a good hospital life. I haven't even drunk coffee. What do you mean this can't be? All that horror to, on one hand, and the same split second, the other thing that I thought was, thank God for sex. I, I, I can't imagine. I can't, I can't imagine everything that's going to unfold now, you know, standing next to someone else. I can't fathom, like, anyone other than my best friend being beside me now. So, you know, life, no one wants to be honest, but life will slap you. It's just, we live in a fallen world that is just a horrible truth. And you need to make sure that the person you walk in this road with is someone that you can trust, um, and you can trust your character to pull you toward God, basically. You know, to be able to speak the truth in love, to be able to lift your eyes, to be able to let you, <laughs> to be able to come home one night and find you there, so Kaz is in a pretty dark place and I knew I just needed to leave her and just to give her some space and uh, so I went off I think it was to a prayer meeting or something. No, and, you and, so and, and, I, and I came home. <laughs> I came home and as I walked in through the lounge, it was just like perfectly tiled. There's this empty, empty wine bottle was rolling across the floor. <laughs> and it's rolling across the floor like this dead soldier on his way to me. And I'm sitting there with another bottle open and she's having a glass of wine and I can just check. Tissues and fluffy toys and sad blog posts and. Uh... Crying and. Yeah. But, but it was like Waterford. Uh, you know, I didn't step around with pizza. <laughs> In my mind, it was two oceans. <laughs> no. So you need the right person. What's your favorite? I came and sat with her and had a glass. Yeah. yeah. And then he gave me a big glass of water and some pinnacles. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that, so, who are you going to spend eternity with? Who are you going to walk this road with? And then. Who are you going to choose as a tribe? So, um, I'm super proud of my dad. He's 73, I guess, 73, and he, uh, he's just done the Argus in under four and a half hours. Um, he ran a gazillion comrades, a gazillion two oceans, and now he's super into cycling and he's competitive. He's on Strava and he's getting, what do you get on Strava? Kudos. Hey? Kudos. He's uh, got his indoor trainer and super serious about all that stuff. So our tribe growing up was his running club. That's that's where we spent Friday evenings. That's where all our holidays were. You know, we came to Cape Town, from the oceans, and we went to Durban for the comrades, and we went to this place and that place. That was our tribe. That was our community, and that was us. It was great. But 
I mean, we didn't grow up in church, like, we went to church religiously, but it, that was not our community. Mm-hmm. And as, as someone who values, you know, from a, from a kind of like, how will this serve me and my life perspective, first up, first up um, if you want a strong marriage, you, you, you really have to try to surround yourself with strong marriages. That's how you learn things. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to be a good parent, you need to learn from the example. You can read all the books you like, but you're going to learn from examples. And I mean, I remember us going away with Paul and Kate um, when Tandy was little. Um, and Tandy was maybe one-ish, and she was doing something naughty, and I was like, one... And Paul was like, why are you counting? And I was like, I'm giving her a chance to change her ways. And he's like, no, you're teaching her that she's got until three before she listens to you. And I was like, oh, yeah. It was such a stupid, odd thing. But he was right, you know. And so just in that like, little moment of, that's not me sitting in a parenting seminar. That's just me doing life with friends I respect and learning from it. And so, you know, you, you learn how to be a business person from the business people that you spend time with, that you respect, that you choose to follow their example. And you learn marriage, and you learn parenting, and you learn um, even friendship, you know, from from those around you. And, yeah, I, I just think from from the perspective of your own life and your own values, who you surround yourself with really matters. Um, but it's a lot bigger than that. And so... We had, obviously, you know, I'm a pastor's wife, guys. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I really don't. I'm very floral. It's <laughs> not me. Um, and... <laughs> the goats are looking good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so... What's my point? <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so in Matthew's you surround yourself with, but, but on a far bigger level, we had um, our first kind of corporate meeting this Sunday, and my one child had stepped out, and she had stepped at her cousin's house, and my sister-in-law messaged me, and she said, no, she says she doesn't want to come to church. She says um, she doesn't have any friends there, she doesn't want to go, and I was like, um, anyway, she came and it was fine. But I said to her afterwards, you know what, girl, like you're saying you're saying these things about your church to people who don't go to church. And it really sucks. Not because New Gen's the best church, but because the church is the bride of Christ. What do you mean? Jesus Mary? That's so weird. I mean, what do you mean? That's like really gone down that road. But I just said to her, you know what? What happens if someone says today, Yo, you're great with your wife, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> you can't really like Steph if you don't like me. We're a package deal. It just doesn't work. You can't say you love and respect Steph and then be mean to me or speak ill of me. That's not loving and respecting Steph. That's just not, that's just not how it works. So I tried to explain to her, and I just said, like, I don't care which church you're speaking about. Can you speak highly of the church? Always. Because, not because I'm precious about my church, but because I'm precious about God's church. We speak highly of the church. We value the church. We, we hold the church in high regard. And I just share our story. It's not something that I've really spoken into to my kids. Obviously, they see that church is a value in our lives. Obviously, there's some kind of iteration of church 
on most days, you know, there's people in our house all the time, whatever, but I haven't actually explained it like this, why church is a value. It's not because this is Danny's job, it's because this is the bride of Christ, and so we hold her in high regard, and we, we, we don't live balanced lives, where, okay, well, here's my um, career ball, and here's my health and fitness ball, and here's my academics ball, and here's my social and leisure ball, and here's my spirituality ball. I used to think that, so vastly, I thought that. I thought the balanced life is having all these things, but we, we're not called to that. We're called to living a Christ-centered life, which means Christ is in the middle, and that includes his bride. They're a package deal. He died for the church. So, so they're in the middle, and, and, and we, we order our lives around that, and the rest, sure. But, but that is central. And so and so I do think I got that as a 20-year-old. I, I think I began to get that as a 20-year-old. And I think it has been... <laughs> from this Catholic girl who said, you're not going to make me convert to your church. <laughs> and my parents said he said was trying to take me to his cult. <laughs> um, to actually just absolutely falling in love with the church. And just... I'm blown away by the beauty of the church. Not me then, but the church. Yeah. The church. Um, and today is the one year anniversary of the death of a friend of ours. Um, and so she was on auction with us and she died a year ago of cancer. And her husband works with Seth. And, you know, you can, you can, you can have all the, the reasons that I said before of why you should kind of order your life around church, oh, it's going to be good for your marriage, and it's going to be good for your kids, and it's a nice place to be, and whatever. But when you lose the love of your life, like, then why are you part of church? Like, and with Rob, what, what we've seen in the last year, you just, you cannot fake that. You can't fake it when life slaps you, and you can't fake it when... You can't fake it for a year. You can, you, can, you can say the right things and show up and be nice for a few weeks, but you can't fake that for a year. And what we've seen in this man is he just keeps serving and he just keeps loving and he just keeps, he's got joy. And it's, it's because for him, church is not something that's there to serve him. He loves God. He still loves God. And so he loves the bride. And so the bride loves him, and, and he's been carried in community, but he's also just never stopped serving. And it's the most humbling thing to just see this man get day after day showing up and giving his all and finding joy and worshipping God and walking forward. And you, you, you cannot break that. So, yeah, so the three, the three kind of things, the three kind of relationships that you've got to choose is eternity. Who are you going to wake up next to? <laughs> and then, who are you going to walk through with? Who's going to be a village? Yeah, it's so good. I, um, I, there's a couple of things that I love. Uh, I love you. Uh, I love God. I love my family. Um, and I love the church. I really, really do love the church. And too many of us have got an insipid, impoverished view and understanding of what the church is. And actually, when we begin to unpack how God sees it and how the church is part of place in God's heart, she is making that difference. She is standing. And so it's a wider cross down the cross. He died so that he could come and defeat sin and death so that he could come. And uh, 
uh, get back the authority of earth and come and reconcile sinful man with holy God. And what do we call this? We call this the gospel. Uh, and in and of itself, we talk about miracles of legs growing back and eyes opening up and seeing, but the greatest miracle of all is that God, who is holy, white hot in his holiness, is able to come and to bring sinful man and bring them together in a relationship, and that is through Christ Jesus. That, that's the greatest miracle of all, and that's what the gospel is. But if anyone asks you what the gospel is, that's what the gospel is. Now my question to you is, who did Jesus entrust the gospel to? To the church. The most precious, the greatest miracle in the world, he comes and gives it to the church. And he didn't give it to the institution of the church as we understand it, with a building and a name and a branding. He gave it to a people, a community called the church. And it's that community that come and live out the gospel. That the greatest declaration and witness of what Christ has done in the cross is not in their words, but in the embodiment of their lives, how they treat each other, how they come and love each other. And it's that church, that group of people, that if you come and find a group of people like that, and you come and you give yourself to that community, man, that, that's what I've tasted, that's what I've seen, and that's what I love. And so when I say I love the church, I don't love the problem. I don't love policies and governing structures and planners and calendars and budgets. Man, that stuff's a lot of hogwash. What I love is the people united together as God's, God's people, His people. I think that. And so many of you guys are going to move on from Stellenbosch. And so that's why I keep em- emphasizing it's not New Gen, it's not one church. It's the global church. And so when you see Christians on social media dissing this church and complimenting that church, I'm just like, oh, Jesus take a little, like, really? You know, we, we value the bride of Christ. It's not these little sub brands. We value the bride of Christ, the fellowship of believers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, that's great. So, um, as you can see, the first stuff was a little bit more superficial, and now this is kind of, you know, going a bit deeper, isn't it? And it's not like a, it's not like a go and do this. There's something of a, a story here that you're kind of gleaning from, right? And so I wonder, I don't know how long this is going to be. It could be ten minutes, it could be half an hour, but I, I want to lean into more of a philosophical space, and I want to kind of tell some stories, which aren't stories, I don't know what they are, but I want to, I want to come and tap into a realm that is going to be quite uncomfortable if you're allowed to be, but I want you to know that that discomfort is a great teacher, um, and maybe it's not, and maybe you know this stuff and you're way ahead than where I was or where I am even right now, uh, or maybe you just don't care, and that's fine. Um, uh, I'm not going to come and test you after this or anything like that, but, but um, you know, um, Kath was telling me about something called the, dep- uh, the evolution of depression, is what you call it, the depression evolution, where, yeah. where, basically, um, where basically the world we live in, in uh, it's so inundated with people that are battling with mental health, and there's a theory out there that says that the world has has so quickly advanced, technologically speaking, and, and uh, it's just, it's just, um, everything happens so quickly, so fast, and um, instantaneous, that it's evolved to a point where our minds are actually old world, 
that they're not adapted to take in as much as quickly as what we're facing. And as a result of that, we're seeing massive spikes in, in mental health issues around the world. And I like something like that. I like it because, uh, number one, I don't like social media and, um, and I don't like the busyness of life. But I also think that, that when he comes, Kaz uh, read this in a book, and she said, when he comes in, he talks about there's an old world kind of reality that our mind is rooted in. It just made me think that there are people who have gone before us that have done life and done life well. That maybe we are losing some of that. And actually we need to slow down and just go back and learn some of the things from those who have gone before us. And maybe at the cost of some of the new and exciting things that we are fascinated with and so excited by, we come and we look at some of the old things. And so, and so I, um, I came across a book um, which talks about the initiation rights of men. And I'm going to use that as a basis to talk here. And that's not to say that it excludes the ladies. But, uh, but basically, um, basically, it works on the premise that in an old world reality, there were certain initiation rights that you had to go through in order to come and to live your life to the fullest. And so when we talk about initiation, we, we're thinking of a passage of rights. We're thinking of... Um, uh, of coming and enduring something so that you can have certain status or privileges as a result of that. And so when we were in Boston, uh, in Corsais, there was always initiation. Uh, I think it was in our first or second year, there was a guy who died as a result of initiation. And there are these horror stories that come out. Uh, I remember uh, first team uh, hockey uh, having initiation on our first tour and uh, and what they did was um, they held you down, took your top off, and they took a steel brush and they scratched a, uh, a plain surface. So mine was a tennis court. They scratched the tennis court into your chest. And then they go ahead and they start playing um, a tennis match where they slap in tension. Uh, and, um, and when it's done, when that was done uh, well uh, in the context of that team, it was such a, a fierce builder. But obviously there's a dark side to these things. Uh, and, and, um, and you can imagine how... <laughs> and so you can imagine how poorly something like that can go. Um, and when it's done badly. But when I talk about initiation rights, I'm not talking about something like that. Where you come and you take it upon yourself to come and initiate someone, teach them a lesson so that they can enter into something more. It's more that we need to realize that life has in and of itself certain initiation rights that it wants to take you through that you need to come to terms with. And the longer you delay, the more you're going to come and dwell in a perpetual adolescence and not come and enhance and take hold of the full weightiness that life has to offer, that God has to offer. Because you're deferring these lessons, these initiation rights of life, and you're, you're leaving them, leaving them, leaving them, leaving them, leaving them, leaving them. And when you're in your 40s or 50s, you're starting to grapple with this. And the reality is, is that in the world we're living in, this advanced world, in certain ways we come and say it's incredibly advanced. But I wonder if maybe our, the generations that have gone before us were not more advanced in their ability to come and deal with certain things and come to terms with certain things that gave them a better... Uh, more proper, more wholesome perspective of what life is. And as a result of that, they were more advanced than we are right now. Uh, and so, 
And so when we think of initiation rites, it's not, it's not like, okay, you got through this, you endured, you're now initiated. When we're talking about initiation and how life wants to come and initiate, it, initiate us, it's about coming and drawing us into the meaning and purpose of life. And so much of what the world is battling with is a lack of meaning and a lack of purpose. And so I've got five things that I want to come and I want to suggest. And these are things, like of all the other things that I've come and spoken through, these are the five things that if I could, I'd go back to myself and I'd say, Craig, these are five things you need to listen to very carefully. And these are five things that are not popular. These are not five things that you're going to hear on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you guys are into. It's not, you know, your, your best friend who thinks he's your best friend or thinks she's your best friend is not going to come and quote these things because what we've learned is that to be a friend in this age is to come and tell our friends exactly what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And so in this moment, I'm not going to be your friend, okay? I'm going to be someone that's going to come and wound you. I'm going to hurt you with these words. But here's the thing, is that the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of your friend, of a friend, refusal the kisses of an enemy. And so I'm not going to come and tell you what you want to hear, I'm going to come and tell you what you need to hear. And these are part of initiation rights that we're going to come to terms with, that the world is working through one way or another. And the first one, and this is, this is there were actual... Uh, in past uh, generations and cultures, there were actual processes, and there are even some of these processes that still exist to come and open up a doorway so that you could experience some of this. Not coming and initiating you so that you now you know, come to terms with this as a result of the heavy hand of some leader, but you come and you open up a, a moment where for a week you've got to go live in the bush by yourself. And in that time, as you go and do that, you come to terms with the reality of life in a way that you hadn't before. And so, uh, and so the first one is this, is that life is hard. Craighead, I want you to know, life is hard. And I feel like this, you know, I feel like I've, there have been so many times where, where I've said to Kaz, no one, no one warned me. No one warned me that what, life was going to be so hard. And life is going to be hard, and, and it's just part of the deal. But being on earth, life is hard. It's going to be difficult. And you need to know that that hardness, that suffering, that struggle, is one of life's greatest teachers that is out there. And so the life cycle that we come and we give ourselves to is one of suffering and hardship and loss. And so when we come and we, we look at that, there is certain loss that is inevitable in life that you are going to face and have to deal with. But after that loss, as a part of God's pattern, is always renewal. So when the seed falls to the ground, it comes up and it's a new plant. There is a constant cycle of loss and renewal that we go through. And so we come and we think of us as young people, and I come and I consider that I've lost my, my adolescence and my youth. And I've lost some of my innocence along the way. And I could come and I could think of that as, oh my goodness, it's just so terrible to bear. But actually, in losing those things, I've gained other things along the way. I've gained a wife. I've gained the ability to be compassionate and sympathetic. Uh, and, and so our culture is so good at medicating, at coming and escaping and avoiding pain. Especially our Western culture, isn't it? Uh, and, so, and so ancient cultures 
They didn't, they didn't believe in coming and escaping pain and suffering. They moved towards it. And so I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there are people who are battling and who are struggling, that, that when you look at them, you're like, man, these people are suffering. But then you say, but they're so happy. How is it possible? But they're so happy. And I've had that a few times where I'm like, man, these people are living in the dirt. They've got no food in their stomachs, but they're so happy. How is it possible? And what they've done is they've come to terms with pain and suffering, and they've realized life is hard. They're not living in a bubble that says this isn't life. They realize that it is part of life. And so what we've got to learn and understand is we don't handle pain. Pain handles us. And pain is such a great teacher that God has come and put in our life to come and teach us stuff. And so have you ever considered the, the symbol of the Christian faith? What is it? A cross. And what is a cross? A tool for torture and suffering. Have you ever thought about it? And so the symbol of our faith is a symbol of suffering. And the one that we worship is one who is a martyr king. We, we worship a martyr who before he was the resurrected king was a suffering servant. And so who are we to think that we can come and circumvent suffering if Christ himself could not? And so, and so why is this so important? It's because suffering is such a formative tool in our lives. The dark side of suffering is, of course, when you, when you have an in, inability to allow it to come and transform you, and you begin to transmit it, and you start to blame people, you start to get bitter, you set yourself up as the victim, and you get angry as a result of it. That's the dark side of it. But the, 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 the light side of it is when you allow that pain and suffering to come and transform you. And so... This is what James is saying when he says, Consider it a pure joy, my brothers. James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it a pure joy, my, my brothers. I, I learned this when I was sitting on the side of the road selling dog baskets because I couldn't find work for 10 months and I was weeping, crying in the, in the side of my car in the passenger chair. And I was like, God, you told me to stay in Stellenbosch. Here I am and I'm busy selling dog baskets because I can't find work. And I learned James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, testings, suffering, pain of many kinds, because it develops your faith. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because it comes and tests you. You test your faith, and your faith must be tested so that it might be mature, and complete and not lacking anything. And so we come and we run away from it. But if I could go back to myself, I'd say, Craig, the friend suffering and learn her lessons early. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number two, sorry guys. <laughs> sorry Craig, but you're not that important. <laughs> you're not that important. And so one of the few organizations in the world that are honest enough to tell you that you are a narcissist and that you are selfish is Alcoholics Anonymous. But everyone else out there wants to come and tell you you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're incredible. Unless you've got some trolls on Twitter who come and or Instagram or whatever it is. But, But 
I wonder if you know this, but ancient cultures had elders. They had uh, wise men or masters or gurus. And I, I wonder what, you, what their job was, if you know what their job was. Uh, it was a multitude of things, but one of the things that their job was, was to come and to deconstruct the ego of the next generation. To, to come and destabilize that false self that lives inside of us, that thinks we are God's gift to the world. And I remember I said earlier how amazing I thought I was. Yeah. And so I remember, I remember um, being 21, 22, and my predecessor was a guy called Peter Hardbrand. Uh, some of you would know him, uh, a mountain of a man, uh, incredible man, um, who I was so grateful for. And... Uh, I remember being your age, some of your guys' age, and uh, he'd just done a preach on eldership, and I've been kind of hiding this secretly in my heart uh, that this was something that I wanted. And in it he said, you know, if you desire eldership, you desire a noble thing, quoting uh, the scripture. And I went to him, and I was like, and Pete is this, he's this tall guy, and I went to him, and I was like, Pete, I desire eldership. <laughs> and, he, and he kind of looked at me, and he's like, Oh, Steph, I just don't see it ever happening. <laughs> <laughs> and he walked away from me and I was like, Were you wearing a waistcoat though? <laughs> and, um, and, and some of us are shocked that he would do that. But that was such a formative moment for me. Because in that moment, he was coming and he was waging war against that false self that thought it was much more than it truly was. And he knew that if I was ever going to come and be an elder or become anything towards that end, it could not be for him or for his sake or because he approved it, because, but because God said so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so. And so Jesus was so good at this, wasn't he? He was so good at coming and deconstructing the false self. And so he comes and he says, he says go and sell all your possessions to the rich and the ruler, right? He comes and he says, to his followers, he says, unless you leave your mother and father, you've got no place with you. He says, he says what, what is a prophet to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? He's constantly coming and he's challenging with his statements. And he's coming and he's, he's challenging that false self and he's coming and he's leveling up that you are not as amazing and as wonderful as you think you are. And so why is this important? Well, I don't think it's just me, but I, I grew up with delusions of grandeur. That I was more important and more amazing than I thought. And that I was God's gift to Kaz and to the world and everyone around me. And that I was going to come and change the world and it was going to be wonderful. And, and I, I think, I mean, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but I think in our generation, it's safe to say that that lives in most of us. And so, does anyone know the difference between humility and humiliation? Not you. <laughs> so, so humility is when we humble ourselves. Humiliation is when someone else humbles us. And so, my challenge to my twenty-year-old self would be: Cry ahead, humble yourself before you are humiliated. Come and embrace the humility. Number three, working off of this second one. Craig here, life is not about you. Okay? Uh, and so, have you ever heard the phrase helicopter parents? Have you ever heard of that? And so, a helicopter parents is, 
a parent that's got a kid and all they do is say, oh, that's your dummy, oh, you've got good again, has your dummy. <laughs> oh, you're crying, yeah, have a little snack. Oh, it's a little tantrum. Come, let's take you through and give you a pat on your back and let's come and do whatever you want. You can never be upset. You can never be angry. We want to come and make sure you are happy all the time. And what we come and do is we, we, we circle around this kid, catering for their every need. And effectively, what we're doing is we're coming and teaching that kid that they're the center of the universe. And that's what our culture does in this day and age. Is it comes and it's a culture which... which comes in circles around us and creates this mindset that, that uh, the, world, uh, the, the world really uh, is about us, that we're the center of the world and our needs need to be catered for. And so you guys know who Copernicus is, no? He's the guy that came and worked out that, uh, that um, the center of the universe was not, of our solar system at least, was not the earth, but the sun, that the sun, that the earth orbited around the sun. And you know what happened to him? He was killed for heresy in the church. Because even back then, there's this false mindset that we're the center of the world, of existence, of everything. Within the church, within us, we've got this false mindset that everything must come in orbit around us. And somehow, consciously or subconsciously, we live in this place where we, we believe we're the center of the world, of, the, of our creation. Uh, and, and so... And so how do you know that you have experienced a true initiation experience or process? So the way I, experience, I spoke about it earlier, where life comes and initiates you to some of her reality, how do you know that you've experienced a true initiation? It's when you realize that you are part of something much bigger and that life and that this world is not about you. And if you haven't had that yet, you're going to have it. And when it happens, there's going to be a lump in the throat, tears down the side of your face, ugly cry, hard and difficult. And some of you are sitting there and you know exactly what I mean by that. And so, what is it? When you realize you are part of something much bigger, that life in this world is not about you. And when, when you're going to face it somewhere along the line, and you're going to be like, oh. And so, one of the first times I can remember this was when I went out of the seas to England. So I lived there, um, just after school, uh, and again, my delusions of grandeur. Gonna go there, rule the world, take it over, and I got there and it was flipping hard. I remember um, having no friends, I remember I looked at a school, and I remember sitting on one side of the room, and on the other side was a meeting of three or four colleagues that didn't know I was there, and they were talking about me and tuning me and mocking me and I just sat there listening everything that they had to say uh, and, um, and uh, I remember it was my birthday uh, no one knew it was my birthday no one wished me other than family back home and I remember those days it was email there was no text messaging there was none of that stuff uh, that's how old I am uh, and, um, and I remember that night um, climbing in the bath by myself being so lonely, so isolated, uh, and kind of just dipping my head into the water. And in that moment, it, it was my first memory that I had of realizing that I was part of something much bigger and that life in this world was not about me. Uh, and so, 
And so why, why is this important? Well, do you know that your life is a story? And, and you know that this world has a story too, more specifically that God has a story. And our story is like a, is like a two-liter water bottle, and God's story is like the ocean full. And so long as we come and we think it's about us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to fit an ocean full of water into a two-liter bottle. And actually what we've got to come and realize is that the sooner we can pour the two liters of our bottle out into the ocean of God's story, the better. Sure. And so the action point that I come and I'd, I'd say to myself is, Craig, give yourself to something bigger than yourself. And do it sooner rather than later. And if you don't ever get recognized, and if you don't ever get the glory, or whatever it might be, that's fine. But come and give yourself to a story bigger than yourself. And I just thank God that it, it fell into the context of His church and what He's doing. Because it could have gone a couple of other ways. I could have been a, a hockey boy. I loved hockey. I could have been part of that. I was one of the first people to bring a kitesurfing surf, <laughs> thing into the country. Sure. I could have been part of that. But uh, one Gale Force win that he isn't going to put into that whole thing very quickly. Number four. Number four. Craighead, you're not in control. So I, um, I remember uh, being in Stellenbosch. Casual would be, remember she was there that day. And I was waiting for a parking at Akersla Parking. And uh, there was this car that was reversing coming out this way. But he was doing like a 180 point turn. Just taking forever, and I was getting mad just watching him turn. And there was this other guy that he came and he and then he went around and he went around and went all the way around. And while this guy was reversing back, blocking me off, he came in and took the parking. Ah, oh man! I got out the car, I closed the door, left the car, and he said, "Did you get back in the car right now?" He looked at me, started walking off like that. I said, "Did you get back in the car?" He moved, and he just just shrugged me off. Eventually, we're in a lift. Going up, one of these things. I'm saying, what kind of a man are you? Just tuning him, saying, get back in your car, stretching him. So I had to think about that a little bit. You guys want me to unpack it a little bit? Okay. 
So it's been said that all the virtues in the first half of life are about gaining control. And this is in reference to a fight against the devil. That we want to come and gain control of the dominion he has over our lives. And so we come and do that through spiritual disciplines of learning to come and to pray and to read our Bible uh, and to come and to uh, find patience and love and bringing a degree of control in our lives. Uh, but ultimately, in the space where I'm getting to more and more, is that the second half of life is about losing control. And it's about this fight that we have with God, where we think we can come and control God and tell Him what He can and cannot do. And actually, in the second half of our life, and it doesn't have to be, you could learn this today, is you can come and learn how to let God and not have control and to allow God to be God over the things that you don't have control over. And I come and I look at the power that that man wielded over me in the lift as he grinned at me. And that's power I allowed him to have. That he ruined my day and made me look like a chop. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really impressed by his patience. Yeah, and honestly, I, I, he was, you know, <laughs> that and so and so the still of control is an issue of authority at the end of the day. So true authority is not having about having control, but being under control. And by that I mean that to have authority, you must be under authority. And you need to come and be under an authority that is tried and tested. And when you can do that, you come into a space where you don't have to control every little thing and you can trust that they know better. So let me give you an example of this. You think of arranged marriage. Who's here keen for arranged marriage? Anyone? There we go. That is... That is there is a healthy perspective on it. So our, our, uh, our perspective is you can't come and tell me what to do and who to marry and who I should marry. And that's according to our cultural system. But in looking at this and reading about it, one of the defenses was, um, was this. Um, someone was asked about it, and, and they said, and it was a young person, and they said, well, we're asking ourselves the question, who do we want to come and set the tone of our marriage do we want the naive generation that's just starting out to come and set the tone? Or do we want the experience of the previous generation to come and set the tone of our marriage? And so by coming and giving ourselves to arrange marriages, we're trusting those who've gone before us that they know better than what we know. We're not going to be distracted by a nice bum. If I was to choose my daughter's husband, I'm going to choose the best man on the planet. And so, We're not really going to do that guy's <laughs> 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 And so, and so the major point here is you're not in control. And the point is, is that, is that there, there's a there's a point at which you come to life and you realise there's just some things you don't have control over. And the sooner you get to that, the better. Because I'm operating, living in a space where I want to come and tell God what He can and cannot do. But how many of you know that you cannot do that? You can't tell God what He can and cannot do. 
because that makes me God and God not God. And so, and so why is this important? It's because if I don't come to terms with this, I'm living with delusions of grandeur that I'm more important than I am. Uh, and, and so what's the action point? Well, I'd come and I'd say, Craighead, find an authority. An authority figure in your life to come and trust and that you'll listen to. That you'd be prepared to submit to. That comes and represents your Heavenly Father as the ultimate authority that you would come and submit to. And so how many of you know, to, how many of you know that, that, the picture, that, that um, Christ in the church, that marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ in the church. You guys have just learned that, right? In <laughs> Ephesians. And so, and so earlier on in Ephesians it says, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, you know, a horror scripture for any woman that hasn't kind of worked through this and looked at it, and especially in our context and culture. And I haven't listened to what the, you know, the preach was that Sunday on that, and I don't know what comes up after that, but I want to give you a quick take. But when you come and you look a little bit later, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so how much should husbands love their wives? So much so that they would come and suffer for their wives. In other words, put their wives first. And so when we come and think of submission, we think of it in a context of, you know, wife, go to the kitchen and cook me dinner. But what if we think of it as a gift? Submission is a gift that you get to come and give. But you say, I trust you so much. I trust you that you're not making decisions and choices to enrich yourself, but that you would come and lay your life down for other people and for me as your spouse, that I would trust you enough that I'd come and give it to you. Uh, and so essentially that's one of the views that I come and take and that we take around that, that space, is that the tone of submission is not set by the woman who has to come and, you know, it's in the context of the, the husband will, being willing to serve and to come and to serve to such a degree that the the wife is, man, yeah, you come and take this, you take those hits, you go for it, and it's his privilege. You say, man, I'll do that for you, no problem, because I get to come uh, and to lay my life down for you. Now, if that's the picture in marriage, and it says that that is a reference to Christ in the church, we need to understand that Christ is never going to come and say to us, submit, get in line, and come to faith. He says, these are the options. You can come and choose. And if you feel like I'm someone that you can trust, that I'm making decisions and pouring my life out for the benefit of others, then surely it's a safe place. Come and do it. And that's exactly what he does. But it's also in the context of church and church leadership. Is that me, as a, as a partner within a church community, I need to find a leadership that I'm willing to come and trust. And say, these guys, this leadership team is not making decisions for themselves to self-enrich themselves, but they're laying their lives down for me and I could come and really get behind them and trust them and give my gift of submission to them. And so action point on this one is pray, find an authority to trust and to and that you would listen to and that you'd come and submit to. And lastly, number five, and this is cheerful. For those people who have heard me earlier, the cynicism and all the rest of it, is um, you're going to die. <laughs> section and then I got in I got lost in the section that was bad. 
Uh, it was so bad. It was like you know, I was in another world, and um, it got so thick that it was like over my head. And at one point, I, I jumped over a little section, and I landed there. And as I landed, I just went. And instinctively, there was a ledge here, and all I did was I went like this. And there was a puff out of that was right there. And, and in that moment, I got that, you know that, that feeling of like, you just got cold and you're like, because if, you, if that thing bit me there, it took me another hour and a half to get out of there, and it took me another two hours to get from out of there back to civilization, and it was just on the Helderberg. And I was like, uh, and for the rest of that day, uh, I had that sick feeling, like, <laughs> like, like, you know, and I think we've all had NDEs, uh, you know what an NDE is, a near-death experience, and, and, and so, in our context, in our culture, and I don't know if I'm going to get this one to land, really, this is a hard one to get to land, <laughs> um, but in our, in our context, we don't do well with death, we avoid it, we don't think about it, we're scared of it. And we find all kinds of ways to escape it and to escape thinking about it and to circumvent it. And so we come and we create ways that we will live forever by either coming and being part of a heritage that goes back to the, the Duke of Edinburgh in 1248, you know, all these lineages. And you go to Europe, I don't know if you've been to Europe, but you spend time with them. They can tell their ancestry back five, six, seven hundred years. You know, it's just, what is the point? And actually... They're scared of death, and they're coming and they're, they're knitting themselves into a story that's bigger than their life. Or what about the other end of it, where we come and we build a legacy for ourselves, that when I'm gone, there will be this park, or this bench, or this place, or this business, or this building, or this family that would come and hold my legacy up, and I'll live beyond it. And so, and so we don't do well with death, and we don't like to think about it. Not least of all, because we don't know what's on the other side. But... Um, but, and also maybe not least of all because of the pain that we're associated with it, you know, like the hardship and the pain. But you see, if we come and we follow these initiation rites, you know, of life is hard and you're not the biggest, you know, you work it through, you get to a point where you're like, okay, let's talk about death now. And with that, we need to come and we need to be okay with death. That it's a part of life. And, and being okay with death is coming and finding the ability to come and to, to touch and reach into that which is sacred and eternal. Because, because it's, it's easier for us in the context of Christ and the church and what we hear in Scripture. And we should be way further down the line of it. Because we come and we recognize that when we die, it's not the end of this life, but it's the start of the next. But actually, it's not. We're in it right now. We're living in eternity right now. And we've got this insipid and pure, this insipid and poor view and understanding of life and death that we have to die to enter into eternity. We're rubbish. And so what happens when you come to faith? It says, if you're in Christ Jesus, the old is gone, the new is come. We, we're right now living in eternity. And so, and so I want to use a phrase here, and I've nearly done it. Sorry, I know I've been long. I want to use a phrase here, which is a little bit unusual and might sound a little bit new energy or mystic, mystical or something like that. But it's the, the phrase firstness. Firstness. And so, firstness. Firstness. Yeah. 
And so there's certain, there's certain things in life that have a firstness to it, that you experience it for the first time, and it's wonderful and amazing. And, and so, you know, the obvious example is, um, is a Shake Shack burger from America. Anyone ever had one of those? Yeah. Uh, what do you say? Or a Chick-fil-A burger. I mean, there we go. Okay. Uh, so, I'm not pizza from Sansa or whatever, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's there. You have it for the first time. And you have that for the first time and you experience something. Uh, but, but let me give you a, a better example. Is that um, I grew up going to the Drakensberg and there's one spot there that we'd go to. And as I've grown older, I'd go and run there. Uh, and there was water that I'd get there, and for me it was like the clinical experience of being in the mountains. It was just amazing. And I've lived in the Cape for for 20 years now, uh, and um, and only in the last year and a half have I started to get into the mountains. And most recently here, um, in the course of this last year, I've been running in the mountains, and uh, and and there's this weird thing. Um, that, that happened as I began to go up there I was like this place is flipping amazing and it was almost like the veil was turned back and I was like and, and it just struck me the proteins and the snakes and lo- I've seen lots of snakes in the mountains and that's fine it just wasn't biting uh, proteins and the sugar birds and uh, the eagles and the bookies and, and I see the and then the water and I run up I get water I go back down and there's and as I started to experience this for the first time, it just began to overwhelm my soul. I was like, Drakensberg has got nothing on this. This has been in front of me all the time. And I was like, and it, there was something about that that connected me to God. Through His creation, connected me to God. And there was something sacred that I tapped into, that I touched as I began to go up in the mountain. And every time I go back into the mountain, I'm trying to tap into that sacred thing that I've been experiencing there. But now God can come and do that in any number of ways, whether it's in nature, in nature or in relationship. And so there's a, there's a, a firstness that I have with Kaz and I have with no one else that, that takes me to the sacredness where God is present in that moment or in that mountain where He comes and meets me. And, and, and what happens is that this life is not this, this full stop that ends and has nothing more to it. It is part of a bigger story, and that bigger story is an eternal story, and every now and then we have these firstness moments, that we encounter God, or the sacredness of God, or the sacredness of eternity, and the curtain of this fleeting, mortal, frail life is pulled back, and we begin to see life in the full extent of how God intended it to be, and as we, do, as we have these moments, God's coming and He's reminding us, He's building in us, He's coming and stirring us. And what needs to happen is we need to come and have more and live more and more in these firstness moments because that firstness comes and prepares us for the lastness. That the more you come and you get familiar with God and those sacred moments and the opportunities He pulls back and shows eternity, it comes and it girds us and it prepares us for the life that is to come. And all of a sudden, you don't come and you say, oh, I'm so scared to die. And you say, man, I'm so excited for that because I get to come and see the continuation of this, of this journey where I've seen God in these moments and these, these, these opportunities where He's coming and revealed Himself. 
where he's finally going to pull back the curtain completely. And these first moments that I've had and these sacred opportunities where I've encountered God are going to be in undiluted flow in His eternal presence. And so all of a sudden, I'm so looking forward to it and I'm so excited for it. And so, and so the problem with death is not finding the courage to die. And, and there's a courage in that where we do need to come and face death because there are horrors that come with it. But the problem with death is that we're not spiritual enough. That we're too earthly. We're too grounded in this reality. And so death is a deeply sacred and spiritual experience that we get to come and enjoy and experience at some point and go through. That when we come and we consider the lies out there that are saying, you know, you're not going to die, we're going to come and work all these things out to prolong human life and we can escape and meditate these realities. And actually, if you come and think about it, in order for us to be completely present in this life, we first have to be okay with the next. And if you're avoiding thinking about the next, you can't be completely present in this life. And so, if I was coming to Craighead 20 odd years ago, I'd come and say, Craighead, you're going to die. And then I'd say, you can start practicing now. You can start practicing now. And you can do that by reminding yourself that life is not hard. You can do that by reminding yourself that life is hard. You can remind yourself that you're not that important and you can come to terms with that. You can come and die today by realizing that life is not about you. And you can come and die today and realize that you're not in control. And as you come and do this, my sense is that you'll come and not only prepare yourself to live richly in the life to come, but to live richer in this life here and now. And so, uh, I'm sorry it's uh, not more of a handled kind of, it's more of a philosophical thing, but hopefully in the midst of all of this, there's some points of truth that maybe God could come and use and uh, direct and lead the journey that you're on. And with all of that, you guys are all on this amazing journey where you get to invent who you're going to become, the person that you're going to be. And that is so cool, man. It is so cool, and I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for some of the first that you get to give yourselves and that you get to do and choose and, uh, and to experience some of the things that I have long since missed out on or gone past or that I've you know, left behind. It's just before you die, which is amazing and incredible. And so that's super exciting and so much to look forward to. I was joking earlier about how cynical I've become in my old age, but that cynicism has rooted itself in a realism that has always also blessed me. And in the midst of it, for all the hardships and the challenges, I want to say that life is good. It is great. And I'm so grateful for it. And the life that I've been given, that we've been given. So on that note, any comments, questions, or thoughts that you want to um, level out against us, or raise, or contribute, feel free. I
I don't know how long we have. I like it. Very short. <laughs> Anything? Any questions? Comments? Thoughts? Maybe you've got some wisdom that you want to share. Yeah. Position. I'm in a very dangerous position because you are submitting. 
Um, and so, but I need to be under authority. And, and at the same time, I don't think I can just be under God's authority. That's, that is in and of itself too a new um, very subjective at times. But I think, I think there's, there's room on multiple levels for us to be under multiple levels of authority. Anyone else? Yes, another one. Of, 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 of
philosophy. I mean, if anyone has any questions or whatever for Kaz, you can come and find me. That's my question. But Thank <laughs> you. 